I've been backwards my whole life. Hey, let me tell you what happened. I had someone come up to me this morning, just before church started, said, man, I heard something really great about the first service. I said, really? He said, yeah, it was a real short sermon. <laughs> he should have never said that. Yeah. Gang, I'm really, really glad you're here. I, I have the joy this morning of sharing with you something I studied this past week that absolutely just blew me away. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to go with me to Philippians chapter 2, okay? Philippians chapter 2. And I love all of the Word. I love all of the Bible. I, I shared earlier that it's an amazing thing that I get paid to study the Bible. You know, um, I, I've never gotten over the fact that, first of all, God would save me, but then secondly, that God would allow me to get paid to stay at home in my little upstairs closet and take the Bible and study the Bible and then share lessons from what I study. It's an amazing thing, you know. And I just got to tell you, I, I just had a great week of, of studying with the Lord, and uh, every week's a great week like that. But I believe today is something that God has stirred my heart about. In fact, I may even come back next week before we start our Revelation letter study to talk a little bit more about it. And I'm just so blessed to be able to share. I hope when you leave, you, you might feel that way. You may think, oh, man, where did he get all that junk from? But anyway, I had a great time. Now, I want to begin by, by talking to you a little bit about salvation, the divisions of salvation. When theologians begin to talk about salvation, uh, depending even whatever their persuasion or their denomination, whatever it may be, what they tend to do is draw salvation down into three categories, okay? They'll, they'll talk about uh, justification, they'll talk about sanctification, and then they'll talk about glorification, okay? Now, inside of those three major or general categories, and there's a whole lot of discussion take place, a whole lot of writing, a whole lot of uh, arguments, you know, all through the history of the church, man. There's been all kinds of debates. It's fascinating. It's called soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. Absolutely fascinating to get into that. They'll argue about when regeneration takes place or adoption or redemption, or uh, where does repentance fit in, when does faith fit in, and it's just an amazing, amazing study. However, what happens is they generally draw down, and everybody would basically agree, you have justification, you have sanctification, and then you have glorification. Some will say it this way, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be or you shall be saved, okay? Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to touch for just a moment on all three, but I want to save the last hour and a half, Rich, for sanctification. Oh, was that you that said that? It was, wasn't it, okay? I, I, want, to, I, just, I want to touch on all three real briefly but spend a little bit more time on that middle one, sanctification, because that's what Paul's going to talk about 
in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Okay, let's, let me begin by at the bottom. You know, since I'm backwards, I'll be upside down too, okay? Let's look at, let's look at glorification for just a moment. What is it? Well, glorification is the future and the final work of God. It's the ultimate salvation. It's the ultimate eternal abode of all those who are believers in Christ. Glorification is our hope looking forward to the moment when a believer in Christ enters glory for all of eternity. Now, within that, there's always some discussion. Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Where does all... The fact of the matter is, gang, it, it, we're pantheists. It all pans out in the end. You've heard that, right? It all shakes itself out, okay? And we can talk about all those things, but the fact is this. Glorification is glory. It's when we as believers spend eternity with the Lord Jesus, when we spend eternity with each other, when we rub shoulders with Joshua and Judges and Ruth, okay? When we have all that fun together, okay? Now, let's talk a minute about justification, the first one, okay? Justification, I'm going to define this way. It's that initial moment of salvation where God declares that a sinner is now a saint, okay? Justification is the declaration by God that he has not only forgiven you, but he has deposited into you his righteousness. He's declared you just and righteous through faith alone, by Jesus alone, according to grace alone. Justification teaches us that it's all by God, and there is no work by man in any part. Justification is a singular work based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Without any involvement, without any cooperation, by man. Only Jesus Christ, dear people, is sufficient to satisfy God's holy demands of justice. Some call that monergism or monergistic. That means mono is alone, gistic is work or energy. The work of God alone in salvation that man has no part of. We could say it this way. God deposits into us his righteousness, an alien or a foreign holiness that is deposited into our account. It's not a holy disposition by man. It's not a desire of man's heart. Justification is a divine gift, and it's a divine blessing that God gives to his people, and it's all by God, lest any man should boast. I was talking to someone this week, and they were telling me about someone in our church, and it so blessed my heart, because the one they were talking, and you're not going to know who it is, but the one they were talking about has just become a Christian. Hadn't been all that long ago. And they were telling me, there's something different about that person. There's something different in the way that person talks, that way that person acts. It's like God has come into his life. 
Oh, beloved, you can't describe that as an action of man. That's described as the work of God in justification. He declares you justified. And what a deep, incredible, divine blessing and gift that is. Okay? Now, that, that middle one is where I want to talk about. I want to talk about sanctification, okay? Let me, let me define it in Tom's terms, okay? Sanctification is a work, perhaps better, would be a, the process of God where he takes a believer's heart and he grows that heart, that life in holiness and maturity over time and that person becomes increasingly more holy over time that time. Now, the reason I said process is because it takes time for that to happen, and it also takes trouble. Let me explain that. Time is your greatest asset in living the Christian life. You begin with justification, and sanctification is that over a period of time, God is moving you and drawing you more and more into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. So it takes time. If you've been saved 10 years, you ought to be more holy today than you were 10 years ago. There ought to be more of a righteousness by which you live your life today than you did five years ago. And if you evaluate your life and if you look at your life and you don't see this growth and maturity and holiness and righteousness and godliness, then I want to tell you, you have reason to question you whether you're really and truly Born again by God, you see. But it's also trouble. You know why it's trouble? Because God's trying to make you more and more into Jesus, so he's going to take and do anything he must do to make you to look like Christ. Now, to some of you sweet people, you sweet ladies, he takes a little file. But some of you hard-headed guys, you know what he does? He takes a hammer and chisel. It's painful. It hurts. But his purpose is to grow you up in Christ to make you more holy like Christ. And because he loves you and he's declared you not guilty, justified, he's going to do whatever it takes to make you to be molded into the image of his son. Now, the question in sanctification comes up this way. Is this sanctification all a work of God, or do I have a role, or do I have a responsibility in this area of salvation? Now listen, sanctification is just as much a part of salvation as justification and glorification. But the question that Paul deals with in our text, and the question that, that I grappled through this week, is what role do I have? I mean, is it all God? If God declares me and my salvation is all of God, does he make me sanctified? Or does Tom have a part of the responsibility in that growth? That's what I want to deal with with you this morning. Would you stand in honor of God's word? I want to give you just a couple verses. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, okay? So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, 
not is in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Notice what he says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then notice, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is where I got my title, God at Will, God at Work. Father, incredible two verses. No human can fully expound it. No human can fully explain it all. But God, this is incredible stuff. It changes perspectives of the believer's life. It helps us to realize what role we have in trying to look like, act like, speak like, and even smell like Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Help us to grab hold of these verses in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, gang. Go ahead and be seated, okay? Keep your Bible open, and we'll just kind of be looking at those verses. Right after Paul uses the example of Christ, challenging us as believers to have the same mind, if that's what your translation says literally, it's to have the same attitude of Jesus. Right after Paul tells us that he took Jesus, took the form of a bondservant, and that Jesus humbled himself, and that Jesus became obedient even unto death on the cross, Paul then says, now, wherefore, perhaps it says in yours, therefore, it may say in yours, in mine it says, so then, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me tell you what he's not saying. Notice that Paul does not say work for your salvation. He doesn't even say work toward your salvation. Paul doesn't say, hey, do the best you can. And if you do the best you can, it's all going to turn out all right. Paul doesn't say anything like that. And there are those today who really believe and they really have struggles getting their head around grace who really believe that if they just do the best they can, they've been taught that if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds or if you just do the best you can, Hey, turn me down just a little bit if you would. I feel like I'm blaring you guys. Am I? No, turn it up then, okay? They teach that if you just do the best you can, that it's all going to be okay. Paul never says that. Paul doesn't say work for your salvation. Paul says work out your salvation. You see, if you can add anything to salvation, there are people that would be a self-help salvation, and that would be heresy. And I want you to know today, there's a lot of heresy being taught in our churches. There's a lot of heresy being uh, proclaimed by so-called preachers that say you ought to help God along in the process of salvation. He says, work it out. Here's what he's saying. Because you are already saved. Because God has already entered your heart. And you have his power then put it to work. Strive to express this gift of faith through the way you live your life, through the conduct of your life, and through the way you represent the Lord Jesus to other people 
that are on the outside wondering what this thing called church and this thing called Christianity is all about. And notice what Paul says. After he says, work it out, he says, it's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. When I, when I got this week into that, I stopped for a moment and I asked myself, wait a minute, I understand working out because you can't get there on your own. I'm, I, I've been in this long enough to know that while probably there's a percentage of people in this room who still think they have to do something to get there, I know that you can't. But when I got to this point, I asked myself this question, what does this mean then, Tom? What does it mean that it is God at work in your life, both to will and to work for his good pleasure? Well, here's what I wrote down. Where initial salvation justification is a monergistic or a God-alone work in your life without any involvement or without any cooperation by you at all, sanctification is what's called a synergistic work of God along with man. You see, Paul wants us to understand that man has a responsibility according to his will to apply himself to the work of holiness. Guys, I want you to understand something as a Christian. You have a responsibility here. You can't just get saved and party hardy any way you want to. You just don't get saved and show up at the dance. There is something for you to do. There's a responsibility that you have according to the grace of God and according to the family of God, how you live outside the walls into your community. But even with that, notice that it is God, Paul says, who initiates it. It is God who's the prime mover in the holiness of the person. Do you understand the blessing of that? God saves you. But it is God that stirs you. It is God that's at work in you so that you have an opportunity and even have the power to be holy in the first place. God alone saves, but God continues the salvation. He saves and he is saving, is the way some theologians call it. God inclines the heart. Listen to me. Oh, people, if you get this, we will get out of here early and Rich will be happy. God inclines the heart to think and to feel and to do his holy will. Without the work of God in sanctification, you know what we would do? We would do like most people do. We would seek alternatives. We would seek substitutes. And yet, because when God saves, he continues saving he continues the work. He helps us persevere. He drives us, as it were, over time and trouble to, became, to become like the very one who suffered and died and bled upon the cross. Oh, gang, listen, I want to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? He who suffered and died and bled and went through the humiliation, the shame, and the rejection of a holy God on a cross called the atonement. Do you want to be like him? I do. I want to be like him in every breath I take. I want to be like him in every word that I speak. I want to be like him in every sermon and every lesson I teach, every decision I make in life. But I can't 
unless God is doing it first in my life. And so let me just kind of, for a moment, be brutally honest. Would you evaluate your life right now? For you see, if that work is not being done, if there's no hunger and thirst, if there's no progress in this God-initiating work of practical righteousness in your life, then I want to say to you in love, deeply caring about your soul, that you're not saved. You've never been born again. You don't realize what Christ has done. You don't understand what it means to be a sinner. You don't understand that heaven will never be your home. That all you have to look forward to is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And oh, listen, so many of our friends, so many of our family, and I believe a certain number of our church members have never understood that it's not about a little prayer. It's about a holy God doing what only a holy God can do and changing the life. And so many of ours, I believe, have never understood what real salvation is all about. You see, dear people, if there was no God working, there would be no sanctification working. And that would be because there was no justification that took place. And that means there'll be no glorification at the end. But Paul says that when God justifies the sinner, he inclines the sinner's heart to do what is right. When God declares that he is 100% in our camp, that he is 100% accepting of who we are through Christ, Paul says that that person will join with God and cooperate with God in increasing holiness and righteousness over time and over trouble. If you're like me, I, I grew up in church, and so church has been a part of my life. I shared a few weeks ago, I went to church in the womb. You know, that's just been how my parents did with us. And so I've heard about every term and even said different terms. You've probably heard phrases like, just let go and let God. You ever heard that? Hmm? Someone comes to you and they've got a problem. You don't know what to do, but you heard some preacher say, well, brother, sister, just let go. Let God. The problem is it's wrong, you see. Let go, let God is wrong because God is at will and God is at work in a believer's life. You just don't let go and let God. God is at work. Join him. Be involved in what the Spirit is doing and leading in your life. You may have heard a phrase like this. Well, God may help us along, but it's really all up to us. Ever heard that? That's wrong. Because without God initiating and without God driving the heart toward him, we would never seek him. You see, it's only when he begins this sanctification process in our lives, it's only then do we realize our responsibility, and it's only then we begin to exercise our will, joining with God's will, 
As he leads us and drives us, we follow and hunger to be holy and to be righteous. And when we blow it, by the way, when we blow it, there's incredible conviction and embarrassment and shame. See, That's why when Paul wrote this, that's why at the very end, look at verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work, He changes your will. He changes your work. Why? For His good pleasure. That's why all of the praise and all of the glory from start to finish belong to God. It's for His good pleasure. His glory alone that man is justified. That man is sanctified. And ultimately, man will be glorified. Now let me just kind of give you the bottom line, okay? What Paul is saying in these two verses is that he empowers us to obey, and he calls us to obey. Work it out, because God is working in. And dear people, that means that whatever God calls you to do, or whatever God uh, tells you to do, you can do it. Because it's him that's doing it in you, and it's him that's doing it through you. You're just joining him in this gracious work. It could be that God's calling you to be a teacher. could be that God's calling you to be a preacher. I mean, if God ever made a mistake, it was with me, okay? So you can do it if he calls you to do it. Maybe God is calling you to work in the kids' ministry. Why in the world? I have no idea. Or the nursery. Who in the world would be called to work and change diapers? But if he is... You can do it because it's him working in you. Maybe it's to work in the area of youth. Maybe, and you're going to hear some missionaries here in a moment, maybe it's for you to be involved in the work of missions, you see. What this means is that it is God at work to change your will, to incline your heart, to empower you to do whatever he was calling you to do, and it's your responsibility to join him in seeing that it's done. The word work that that Paul uses here literally is the word energy. God's sovereign work in every area of salvation energizes his children to obey and serve and to do it willingly, to do it with gladness of heart. You see, the Apostle Paul was driven because he was drove by God. That's a bad English, but it's good theology. He was driven because God was driving him. And I want you to know at the end of your life, that's all that really matters anyway. What we do in our own strength will dry up one day. What we do in our own strength will burn up one day. What we do in our own strength will rust up one day. But what we do in God's strength, joining Him, will have eternal dividends, even if it's only a cup of cold water in His name. I want to close with a statement by a wonderful, wonderful preacher. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Murray, but I I love reading this guy. Let Let me read you what he wrote. 
He said, God's working in us is not suspended, not suspended because we work, nor is our working suspended because God works, nor is it strictly cooperation as if God does his part and we do our part. But the relation is because God works. We work. And I like that. Because God works. We work. And what he's saying is this. Our working is the effect of God's working in us. And oh, dear Christian, how precious that really is to us. God saves. God is saving, and God shall save for all of eternity. Now, I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment, okay? I want to tell you what I've learned in my time in ministry. I've learned that I am to join God, not expect me to do my own thing. Where God is working, what God is doing within the confines of his leadership in his church, I am to join that because he gets honor and he gets glory from that. But anytime I step out of that or anytime I don't involve myself in that, then I'm the loser. If God is at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure, then first of all, I should ask myself, is that happening in my life? Is that taking place in my life? And then secondly, how can I, how can I be involved in that? How can I join with what God is doing? Father, I want to thank you for teaching me something this week in reminding me that it's not about me at all. That salvation from the very get-go is about you. Your declaration that I am just. Your sanctification that is you that inclines my heart and changes my desires. And it is you in glorification that when that moment comes and that big event happens, every finger will be pointed to the Lamb of glory, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. And that's salvation. It's justification. It's sanctification. It's glorification. And it is all you. Thank you for allowing us who are saved to have a part of this precious, glorious work that brings honor and brings glory to God alone. Father, this morning there may be some who have struggled with whether they're really, truly born again. Maybe your Holy Spirit has spoken to their hearts made them realize that they're not saved. Maybe today, God, there are those who have struggled with sanctification. 
They're not sure if they can. Maybe your Holy Spirit has told them today they really can. Maybe there are some today who wonder about what is yet to be. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit has helped all of us understand that what is yet to be is going to be far more glorious than anything we can ever imagine. And Father, help us to understand how beautiful it is to be part of the kingdom of God, to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.